chapter five section two of a defence of idealism by may sinclair this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter five pragmatism and humanism section two there is one more consideration which may bring a strange and unexpected food to the appetite for unity the pragmatist has another and a stronger line of argument the moral line he says the blatant pantheism of the monist lands him in moral catastrophe if his one his absolute his god is all things he is evil as well as good the pragmatist cannot face the awful consequences of what is to him an immoral god if god's almightiness is incompatible with his goodness then for god's sake give up the almightiness and let us at any rate have moral peace because man hates evil and shrinks from pain there must be a dual principle there must be another the scapegoat of a god not quite almighty upon whom all the evil in the world may be fastened or there must be others a host of evil ones abominable spirits that have existed in their abomination if not from all eternity than from inconceivable time if you ask how and why abominations should spring up spontaneously in the universe the pragmatic humanist cannot enlighten you he can only point to the existence of evil in the world as it is and has been since man knew it or since it knew man we can only ignore it mr william james says by taking a moral holiday we can only meet it mr schiller says by this assumption of the incompetent god the infinite and the absolute are up against man's morality and his dislike of suffering and they must go god is only infinite in his good intentions which presumably pave the hell of the evil one god though infinitely well-meaning is powerless to prevent this evil one or those abominable spirits but better thrice better that he should be powerless than that he should be immoral for he is not so powerless that he cannot struggle the pragmatist is happy in that he can point to an actual state of struggle in the cosmic order given a good principle struggling with an evil one there is always a chance that he may overcome him in the end that evil may be swallowed up in good really this is not an unfair statement of the pragmatic humanist problem and his heroic position but lest i should be suspected of loading the dice in favour of my monist i will let mr schiller state it in his own words mr schiller rejects dualism although it seemed able to preserve the all-important distinction between good and evil for which monism left no room dualism is virtually disposed of with rejection of the ultimate difference of matter and spirit the real battle he says in the riddles of the sphinx has to be fought out between the champions of the one and of the many between monism and pluralism and contrary to the opinions of most previous philosophers we are inclined to hold that the many is a far more important principle than the one and that pluralism consistently interpreted and properly explained is the only possible answer to the ultimate question of ontology the finiteness of god he goes on depends on the very attributes that make him really god 
on his personality on his being like all real beings an individual existence god is one among the many their supreme ruler and aim and not the one underlying the many the latter theory makes the many inexplicable and the one indifferent god therefore must not be identified with nature for if by nature we mean the all of things then nature is the possibility of the interaction of the ultimate existences and of these god is one and the existence of these ultimate existences explains also why god can be finite he is limited by the coexistence of other individuals and from his relations to these other existences which we have called spirits arise all the features of our world which were so insoluble a problem to monism its becoming its process and its evil though matter he continues being nothing in itself cannot be the principle of evil and is not in itself evil it is yet characteristic of an essentially imperfect order of things it is as it were the outward indication and visible reflection of evil for evil is like all things ultimately psychical and what is evil about matter is the condition of the spirits which require the restraint of matter if evil that is inharmonious spirits were permitted the full realization of their conscious powers they would be able to thwart and delay if not to prevent the attainment of the divine purpose of the world process the lower existences that is the less harmonized have their consciousness limited and repressed by material organization in order that their power for evil may be practically neutralized and that in the impotence of their stupidity they may have little influence on the course of events observe in passing that though matter is characteristic of an essentially imperfect order of things though it is the outward indication and visible reflection of evil it is the weapon in the hands of the ferociously good god apparently the only weapon that he has it is the check upon consciousness a sort of poison gas which the good god sends into the enemy's lines to smother and stupefy and reduce to impotence the evil ones we start goes on schiller with a number of spiritual beings struggling against and opposing the divine power which may overpower but cannot destroy them what is to be done to leave them in the full possession of their powers and intelligence would be to give them the power to do evil to reduce the spiritual order to a chaotic play of wild antagonisms for after all the fuss the humanist has kicked up about the existence of evil it is practically neutralized to return to the evil one to destroy them says schiller is impossible but it is possible to do the next best thing that is to reduce their consciousness to the verge of non-existence in such a state of torpor it would be possible to induce them to give an all but unconscious assent to the laws of the cosmos and gradually to accustom them to the order which the divine wisdom had seen to be the best that is the humanist solution a moral god one against many armed with lumps of matter he cannot destroy his enemies besides it would be immoral to destroy them but he can knock them senseless so you see he hasn't done so badly after all for to impress on fools and beasts 
even a dim sense of the rationality of the scheme of things says schiller is a task more difficult by far than to prevail over the descent of superhuman intelligences i do not know why it should be more difficult except that mr schiller says it is and he ought to know about his own god anyhow these are the triumphs of the good god the rationality of the cosmos is proved by a knock-you-down argument which prevails with fools and beasts well well the problem of evil is a very hard one but this particular solution overlooks two rather glaring facts the fact that stupidity causes most of the moral evil that we suffer from so that by deliberately causing stupidity the good god becomes a cause of evil there is really no sense in which stupidity can be made out to be a good thing the other fact is the behaviour of matter which is the cause of most of the physical pain we suffer on mr schiller's theory matter at any rate seems to be under the control of the good god why then if he is all that the humanist would like him to be does he allow matter to get so intolerably out of hand you would have thought that even if the evil ones can dispose of war material and have all the best designs for armaments he might have put down for instance earthquakes an earthquake after all is not an ultimate spiritual existence but no his efficiency is limited in that direction too oddly enough it is this well-meaning but incompetent god of humanism that has caught the fancy of mr h g wells mr wells has given to the conception a poetry and a dignity which is not its own but he has not succeeded in disguising either its inherent absurdity or the moral hysteria to which it owes its being mr britling's son has been killed in the great war and mr britling type of all britishers and honest men realizes contrary to his usual way of thinking that there is a god but not a god who lets these things happen a god amiable and inefficient who can't for the life of him help them happening letty who has lost her teddy insists that he must let them happen or why do they happen mr wells like mr schiller tells us why no said mr britling it is the theologians who must answer that they have been extravagant about god they have had silly absolute ideas that he is all-powerful that he's omni everything but the common sense of men knows better every real religious thought denies it after all the real god of the christians is christ not god almighty a poor mocked and wounded god nailed on a cross of matter some day he will triumph but it is not fair to say that he causes all things now it is not fair to make out a case against him you have been misled it is a theologian's folly god is not absolute god is finite a finite god who struggles in his great and comprehensive way as we struggle in our weak and silly way who is with us that is the essence of all real religion i agree with you so why if i thought there was an omnipotent god who looked down on battles and deaths and all the waste and horror of this war able to prevent these things doing them to amuse himself i would spit in his empty face if mr britling had left it at that we might have been sorry for him but when the flood of hysteria subsides he blunders up against the open secret god he says is within nature and necessity necessity is a thing beyond god beyond good and ill 
beyond space and time a mystery everlastingly impenetrable god is nearer than that necessity is the outermost thing but god is the innermost thing closer is he than breathing and nearer than hands and feet he is the other thing than this world greater than nature or necessity for he is a spirit and they are blind but not controlling them not yet necessity is the outermost thing but god is the innermost thing he says when mr wells comes to see that necessity is an illusion and that space and time and our good and ill are not absolute and ultimate realities and that the innermost thing is the real thing he will be at the end of his research magnificent meanwhile he has shown his wisdom in not attempting any picture of the actual procedure of the good and inefficient god in his duel with evil he cannot very well state the humanist position in any terms that will not make manifest the absolutist advantage but i think mr schiller's own statement shows it if anything better than mine the monist reply to this innocent manichaeism is that it is the pragmatic humanist and not he who is deifying evil since he has endowed it with ultimate reality he will suggest that an absolute that is both good and evil since the pragmatist will have it so is not evil even for one fleeting moment of his infinite existence and that for that matter he is just as capable in fact ten times more capable of bringing good out of evil than a god desperately moral but of imperfect power since the absolute as imminent is the world process and as transcendent is also everything that may be left over and above it that if there is to be a final victory if the evil principle or evil principles are ultimately to be swallowed up in the good you have an ultimate unity that with his struggles and his victories and his ultimates and finals the humanist is giving a metaphysical reality to time that time cannot be made to bear and that since there is to be a final swallowing and a final unity he might just as well have had it first as last here i think it must be admitted the absolutist scores the pragmatist has betrayed his secret appetite for unity his evil must be swallowed up in good if the pragmatist is not playing with words if there is to be a real swallowing and a real assimilation the two must be potentially one it does not matter whether his resulting unity be a moral unity or a metaphysical unity unity it is and union and atonement or at one -ment. and really he might as well have had it first as last the absolutist does not take a moral holiday he does not deny and he does not ignore the serious and bewildering difficulty of the problem of evil it is a difficulty from any point of view but i cannot see that it bears with a more awful weight on the theory of an imminent and transcendent god in whose reality evil as such has no meaning that we can recognize than on these two alternative theories of a dual principle or of plural principles humanism either exalts evil in all the prestige of an independent metaphysical reality or it poisons life at its source by fixing it in matter which should be of all things innocent if life is to be kept holy or if it does not fix it there it fixes it in the human will which is even worse besides not being altogether true the one theory that it does crush you would think should be the old theory of the absconding deity god the creator who is above all things blessed for ever 
who sits outside creation with no part or lot in its conflict or its suffering and yet it does not crush it utterly incompetent as he is the humanist god the god of the cosmic arena has a certain trait in common with the god who sits above it resistance we are told the resistance of matter the resistance of the hard recalcitrant evil ones is necessary to the putting forth of his power to the heroic spectacle of his prowess who designed this accordance of evil with the requirements of the gladiatorial god not the evil ones you may be very sure suspicion falls upon the gladiator he has engineered the existence of evil to gratify his taste for combat and for personal display but the imminent spirit of the absolutist truly bears his part he truly labours and suffers in so far as he is all nature and all mankind he has literally shirked nothing von hartmann's one merit as a thinker was that he saw that god the creator is the intolerable god if he had had a little more metaphysical vision and a little less moral cowardice he would not have called upon man to save god to deliver the absolute by bringing the world process as quickly as possible to an end he would have called to him rather to save god by saving himself by behaving as much like a spiritual being as possible in no other way can he hasten the end of the world process the tendency of all spirits towards self-determination after the likeness of the absolute spirit in whom they live and move and have their being so that pragmatism and humanism in spite of their closeness to life and their admirable freedom from the bonds of system have broken out into a dilemma almost as bad as any inherent in the systems and the very act of whitewashing its deity so as to bring him up to the parochial standard of purity humanism has lapsed into the unity it repudiated horn one horn two which is a moral point is not quite so obvious but it will become so if the situation is examined the good god being good is opposed to the evil he did not cause but cannot help he must therefore struggle against it that his goodness may be proved if he refuses the heroic combat he is not a good god if having entered the arena he does not come off conqueror he is not he cannot be so very good if he conquers the evil one is not destroyed but merged in good and you have not two principles or many principles but one principle and this is moral monism the humanist you see is not quite so naive as the semitic theologies that have produced him uncompromising in the face of his moral dilemma he boldly throws over god's almightiness so that his all-goodness may be kept intact on no account must he be identified with the trivialities and absurdities and iniquities of existence he should not for instance be held responsible for the presence in our universe of so many millions of fleas mr schiller seems to suggest that it is mr bradley who should be responsible for the many millions it does not occur to him that they might have been designed for the express purpose of demonstrating that man is not the sole end of the universe and that humanist man is not the measure of all things but that the humblest organism may have its point of view and its right to a say in the matter of existence having relieved his principle of its worst embarrassments the humanist has now got god almost but not quite as moral as himself but he has not avoided all in allness 
has simply conceived it in the form of human morality human morality evolved by processes of alternate conflict and readjustment from various instincts of desire and repugnance adapted to the social and physical conditions of the inhabitants of the planet this precious morality of his is what he solemnly refers to transcendent reality and this mind you after jibbing at any identification of deity with the absurder details of our daily life and mark the dilemma that arises from an honest man's attempt to whitewash god after all he can only save his moral whitewash at the expense of his pluralism and his pluralism at the expense of his whitewash and even then he has not saved his good god entirely from the suspicion of complicity in evil the good god challenges provokes demands resistance he is no more all good than he is all-powerful there is another very serious objection that the absolutist might make the pragmatist's helpless and unhappy god is not good at all any more than he is all-powerful for on the pragmatist's theory the good is the useful it is what pays the good god then is the useful god the paying god and evil is swallowed up in usefulness in payment so that evil also is what pays in the long run it would seem after all then that unity in some form or other is a necessity of thought if the appetite for it is frustrated in one place it will break out in another it is implicit in the very dilemmas of the systems that have repudiated it but to be just to pragmatism and humanism they have deserved well of philosophy and reminding it of things it is apt to forget little things like will and action and moral conduct which idealism really renders little or no account of and i do not think either pragmatists or humanists claim to have established a metaphysic concerned as they are with the human will and with action and with moral conduct they aim at something which they believe devoutly to be nobler and better and more useful they conceive themselves to be much more profitably engaged in laying the ethical foundations of the universe they do not worry about the foundations of ethics they worry about the ethical behaviour of the universe whatever the universe does or does not conform to it must conform to human and pragmatic ideas of morality but the universe is nothing if not ironic and in the fate of pragmatism and humanism there is a peculiar and a perfect irony they have been taken at their word and as they have insisted on putting conduct first and ethics first or ethics if anything a little after conduct and on ignoring everything in the universe that does not square with conduct or account for conduct or presuppose conduct that is not related to conduct or referable in some way to conduct they are left in consequence of their vast repudiations without any ethical ground for ethics and therefore without any ethical ground for conduct at all thought relations are irrelevant to conduct therefore thought relations must go relativity is fatal to ethical conduct therefore relativity must go the infinite and the absolute are indifferent to ethical conduct therefore the infinite and the absolute must go monism will not account for ethical conduct monism is even incompatible with ethical conduct therefore monism must most emphatically go so that though pragmatic humanism does not claim to have established a metaphysic it does claim to have destroyed one which is to be metaphysical with a vengeance and it does not seem to have occurred to either pragmatism or humanism 
that a dead metaphysic could revenge itself in its turn it did not and it could not occur to them that in this clean sweep of non-moralities morality itself must go the pragmatist's eyes are fixed on conduct and the useful the paying results of conduct and the humanist's eyes are fixed on the origins of conduct and the end of conduct and neither have paused to ask themselves the one question that is vital and crucial for ethics is there anything that is good in itself apart from its results or its origin or its end the logical outcome of pragmatism is that the good is what pays the logical outcome of humanism with its evolutionary ethics is that the good is the pleasant or the desirable or the beneficial with all their air of brand new modernity neither pragmatism nor humanism have added anything to the utilitarianism of the middle nineteenth century nor to the hedonism of the year four hundred b c pragmatism wears a quaker's hat and humanism has vine leaves in its hair their quest is not for ultimate reality but for steam engines and motor cars and synthetic chemistry or for tango if that is pleasant desirable and beneficial but it is only fair to add that their dilemmas are of the unconscious kind and that they have made no specious promises they say i find this dualism or this pluralism and i leave it at that it does not make a tidy universe but i can't help it it's not my job to tidy up the universe and i prefer things left like that with their ends hanging all loose it is more picturesque more like nature and like real life end of chapter five recording by expatriate in bangor maine